And I'll just start off with a confession. This actually is the wrong sermon that you should be getting. The reason is that I sat down, um, I think, last week, thinking that I'd just got a few hours spare, and that what I would do was that I'd start and be two weeks in advance. So I, I, I actually sat down for four hours, put some work in, and then I realised that the sermon that I should be preparing uh, was not that one, and I'm two weeks ahead. So what I'm going to do is that uh, I went down and spoke to Callie, which, uh, just because I was ever so frustrated with myself for preparing something that I shouldn't have done, and said, what shall I do? So I, she just said, carry on. So this is the one that you should get in two weeks' time. And just to check that you will remember it, two weeks' time I'll preach it again. No one, you're all right. So, I don't um, have a PowerPoint presentation because I don't want to be distracted by it. I only have uh, this, which doesn't need to work, but there you go. So I only have that. I have one verse, Deuteronomy 33, verse 27, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And I also have that for you, because I thought that was cute. There you go. So, but that's just the make-up for the wrong sermon. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the words just as they appear in our Bibles, just as they actually appear here, and I'm going to consider them out of context, which is wrong theologically. Okay? But what I'm going to do is probably best described as reflection or meditation. So I can get out away with it that way. Uh, but actually it is out of context. But just to put the, those verses in a little bit of context, what we, they come from a passage where Moses is blessing the tribes. And the words that we, that we read there are actually placed at the very end of Moses' blessing or Moses' song. And theologians describe those verse, verses as Moses' crown and Moses' climax. And say that what he'd done is that he had wound himself up on uh, a sort of poetic uh, excitement in regard to what God would do for these people. He got, he got involved emotionally. It was a spiritual sort of fervour experience. And by the time we get to this verse, it's this verse that is the one, that is the climax of everything. This is what he wants for them all. But it is not the uh, first person to do, it's not the only person to do this. If you remember Jesus before he ascended into heaven, that what he did was that he also blessed his disciples. Which is exactly what Moses is doing here. He's climbed to Pisgah, just right opposite um, Jericho, uh, where the Lord was going to show him the promised land, which he uh, would not inherit. And it's there that he pronounces this sort of statement. Now, you probably, some of you may have your Bibles open, some of you may not. I didn't particularly want you to do that, but so I wanted you to listen, if I can, so just be naughty with that. Um, what we see in, in regard to this passage is that 
that God will surround his children on all sides. That we can't escape from the presence of the Lord, which is wonderful. So we find in the verses before, there is above, verse 26, there is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. So there's the Lord. He is he's above us right now. Then we uh, get to verse 27 where he describes not only is he above us, but he surrounds us. Verse 27, the eternal God is your dwelling place. I, I live there and, the etern- and I live in this dwelling place where the Lord is. I'm placed in the centre of it. It's like, it's like you come to our house, it's Nigel and Callie's house, they live there. You live where the Lord lives. Isn't that extraordinary? Verse 27, he says this, he says, He thrust out the enemy before you. So there's the enemy, and here's the Lord. Gone before you, dealt with the enemy, so that you can go into that place. He's gone before you. Many of us will know right now that we face some enemies before us tomorrow. Here's the encouraging thing. The Lord's there before you. He's got there before you. Faster than you, quicker than you, sharper than you, better than you. There's the Lord. Well, what about the enemy? No, the Lord. Well, what about the, what the enemy looks like? No, the Lord. The Lord's there. It's got there before you. And then we get this verse, verse 27. And underneath are the everlasting arms. So where do we find him? Above us, around us, before us. He, he underneath us. And the verse in Scripture says, where can I get to flee from your spirit? There's a hymn writer called Isaac Watts. Find this in Grace Hymns. have a copy of that, including Hymns of Faith, uh, both uh, purchased by my dad. So there they are. They stay on my bookshelf. And uh, it says this in one of his hymns. See whether you know this one. Uh, the hymn is called, Lord, Thou hast searched and seen me through. Just goes to show that I am a better strict Baptist than you. <laughs> this is what one of the verses says. It says this. Within... Thy circling power I stand. On every side I find thy hand. Awake, asleep, at home, abroad. I am surrounded still with God. That's our position. So what I want to do today is I want to look at underneath of the everlasting arms. I want to look at where, because that's what we're supposed to do, and what, and when. And what then? And the reason I haven't put those up is that I just thought that was simple enough for you to remember. <laughs> so let's have a look at where. Where? Underneath. <coughs> Underneath, to me, is what you can't see. Can you? You don't know that there's a little moly or a little worm crawling under my feet right now. Because you can't see it. Because it's earth, it's, it's soil, it's dirt. And it's very interesting, isn't it, that when you are low, where do you look? You look down. That's why the psalmist says, why are you downcast, O my soul? You look down, there's something about the underneath that, that sort of slightly unsettles us, slightly gets us. And when, when I look down, I actually think that for me, Sometimes it even reminds me of the grave. I've uh, had the 
privilege and quite sad things of uh, standing by many a gravesite. Probably many of you have been there too. I don't know whether you've stood like that as they, they've lowered the coffin. I've been there as a, as, a, as a family member or a friend member or somebody being there doing, uh, leading the service as it were at the graveside. And it just does look dark, damp, uninviting. It just looks horrible. Now, they did, I don't know whether you've been to a graveside, but they put like a little piece of green carpet around it and they sort of, you know, dangle that down. However you make it look, it just looks awful. There is no great joy, I don't know, in standing at the graveside. And at the graveside, I've actually quoted this underneath are the everlasting arms so many times. And I know that when I'm standing at a graveside, I'm actually thinking, one day, that could be me. It could be me that's been lowered down right now into this thing. And I don't know whether you like me, but when you stand there, I go through these things in my head. I sort of get that sort of, oof, sort of thing that I, I feel quite uncomfortable about sort of uh, uh, being there. And, and you know, it does, you, you, it looks final. It, it looks as if it's my fate. You, you, you can't deal very easily, uh, calmly with it. Without tears and without emotions, the graveside just just gets to you, doesn't it? I know sometimes that when I've been leading services, and particularly if you've been a friend of mine or anything like that, I've been doing it. I have to go there early and go through this thing where I just say, Nigel, you must not lose it at this point, because if you lose it, everybody else is going to lose it, and I'm leaving it. And I just say something like this, Nigel, you can go home and lose it like glory. Go home and just lose it then, but don't lose it here. Because everybody is considering not only the loss of their friend, but they know. They know in their innermost being that one day will be them. That's the problem with it. You know, I don't want to, you don't often say, where did you go today? We went down to Eagles Meadow, or Chester Shopping, or The Graveside, by Roland and Case. You didn't catch them, did you? You don't catch, like, 30, 20,000 people going to Roland and Case, jamming up with all around by where they live, so that they can go around and have a whale of a time in the graveyard. Unless they're slightly strange, but... <laughs> There's an Anglo-Saxon poem that goes something like this. It is great. You'll love this. It will make you happy. Here it goes. Loathsome. <laughs> Don't laugh at my serious point in a moment. Loathsome is that earth house and grim within to dwell. There thou shalt dwell and worms shall divide them. And if truth is truth, we are and can live afraid of death and unsure because of the mysteries and ignorances that death brings. 
We can be silently in agony about our future. I've never, you see, you might be X Factor or Strictly fans. I'll just confess Strictly, okay? Don't like the tween thing. So, <laughs> why don't they get their hair cut? What is that thing going up on up there? He wants to be taller, get some <laughs> shoes like we all got in the 70s. But I don't Why am I saying that? Oh, yes, the, the, the girl that was in the dance off, what's her name? The Moroccan girl? Not interested either. Layla, yes. With a little bit bling, bling, she said this week in her in her interviewing, what is the one thing that you fear most of anything else? And the interviewer was thinking about, you know, you know, is it dancing with this or the lights or Brucey or whatever? And, and she didn't answer any of those. She says, No, I fear to die. High celebrity, high earner, massive amount of money, huge security, big. Big, big lifestyle. What do I fear more than anything else? I fear to die. If you are a child of God, you know that you can descend without fear even into these lowest depths. That even Jonah who was swallowed by this big fish and in the stump, was able to say that the Lord is with me. And if we understand this truth, it is this truth that will help us through those dark and difficult moments and through to the other side where it will not be dark any longer but be filled with light. And we must look sometimes at even the whole that's before us with a little bit more contempt than we do. Because we know it is just a passing moment. It's just something that will come into our lives. We should not fret. Because even as we walk to the path of the grave, the other side is the everlasting arms. I want you to consider this. How is your balance this morning? How is your balance? Whether you are 12 or 72, how are you balanced? How is it with the grave on this side? Or how is it with this wonderful truth? Yet, yet even the grave underneath are the everlasting arms. How will I go to it? Will I go to it in fear? Yeah, of course I will. But will I go to it with security? Knowing this one thing. That underneath. What a message. What a message to a people in 2010. We have a wonderful message. What about the grave? Underneath are the everlasting arms. What a message. We don't have to say anything but that. Because we can guarantee that millions of people are terrified of the grave. And we need to preach this wonderful message that even though the grave, there is hope because of the everlasting arms. <coughs> I don't know whether you've got like, how many on page one, but underneath, my mind ran away with me. Just thinking of that one word, underneath. Because I just thought, you know, underneath needs to be solid, doesn't it? 
You've only to look at just this week in Cumbria. And you think that underneath... I, you believe it to be solid, don't you? You believe that when you walk on a bridge, even though it's got water flowing through it, that the bridge is going to stand, don't you? You just think that, don't you? You think that everything ought to be solid and sound and substantial. <coughs> we have to build, brothers, sisters, we have to build our lives. And if we have nothing to build it on, well, our building will fall. Our building will fall. Apparently, so they tell me, that underneath is very important if you're an architect or a builder. Apparently that's where the work's done. But what you see is the, the posh bit. But underneath is where the work's done. So I want to ask you this. How is it with your building? How is it with your underneath? How is your underneath? Are you able to say, yes, in God I know my underneath is secure. I trust in God. I, I rely on his promises. I believe they cannot fail. I believe I build my life on one thing alone, and that's his atoning sacrifice in Jesus Christ, what he did to me. That's the foundation of my life. That's what I'm building my life upon. I know my life will not fall because of this wonderful foundation that lies within it. Jesus Christ. I know that I'm on my way to heaven. Because underneath is secure. Psalm 46 verse 2 says this, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives away, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Sit in it. Come on, mountains. You can throw at me what you like, but underneath me are the everlasting arms. My foundation is secure. Well, what about tomorrow? My foundation is secure. About my job, my foundation is secure. Come on, we need to live a little bit. But know this: if your foundation is not secure, then your building will fall. Be warned. Don't blame other people. Well, they didn't prop me up and. It didn't help me with that. No, it's the foundations are wrong. It's to do with Jesus Christ, who you trusted in, what the promises are, all those sort of things. Those are your foundations. Without them, your building will fall. Underneath are the everlasting arms. That's the foundation of everything. The things which are seen are actually are things that are seen and unseen are held up by the invisible God. This outward visible universe does not have power to stand for a single second unless God unless God chooses to let it go or to hold it. Scripture says this by him all things hold together. Despite what they're doing in CERN right now, CERN, Switzerland, there are no forces apart from God's power. It's not about atoms, it's about him. 
What will they discover? Well, I'm the thickest of the thick. Okay? You cannot be thicker than me. I'll argue that one. Are they cleverer than me? Yes. What will they discover? No. <laughs> How many billions does it cost? What could that money have done to world poverty? What does the Bible say? By him all things hold together. There is no force apart from God's power. No existence apart from his will. He speaks it into being. He holds it together. He's the foundation of creation. He's the source of life. So everything that we see, live on, exist, breathe, breathe, it's because underneath are the everlasting arms. I breathe because underneath is him. There's a song like, you probably weren't in. It was chunking away before. It was about the breath I, and I just thought, yeah, I breathe. It's true in regard to this church or any church. He chooses her. He redeems her. He places himself in her. He builds her up. He sustains her. He helps her against the enemies so that the gates of hell will not prevail her at the foundation of any church. He's not one great preacher, not one great group of people, not one great building, not one great program, not one great vision, but one great person in him, Jesus Christ. And when we lose that, folks, we will lose everything. We will lose everything. He's at the beginning, he's at the end, we worship him. We don't worship anything else. I have to say, I hate songs about me. Because we do, we come to the, and I, excuse me about this, the worship leaders are going to look at me and say, that I'm going to worship the Lord and I'm going to, it's great to do that sort of stuff. But that's for me personally, I want to look at him. I don't want to look at me. I know what I look like. Why do I want to worship and know what I look like? I come here so that I don't see me, but I see him. And marvel in him and get taken up in him. Because it is about him. It's his church. He can snuff it out in a moment. The glory doesn't come to the preacher because he's better than me or worse than me. The glory comes to him. It's about him. And what's true of the church? Where underneath are the everlasting arms. Do you know if underneath are not the everlasting arms in the church? The church will go. We lose Jesus, we lose the church. Simple fact. It's him. And what's true about the church is true about us. If we lose Jesus, we lose ourselves. There abides no spiritual life in us. Except by his everlasting arms. If there's a speck of God in you, it's him. But beware of replacing things in your heart where underneath it is not him. If you have a hope, let it, let it be because of him. If you have experienced joy, let it be because of him. If you've experienced love, let it be of him. If you've got any confidence to go forward, let it be because of what he has done. Any strength, apply it back to him. 
If you have experienced grace, it's his grace. If you have a quality, it's his quality. If there's a gift, it's his. If you are able to praise and worship as if in seventh and heaven, it's because he has given you. If you have got a gifting, it's because he has done it. If you have given to one atom in service, it's because he has enabled you to serve. If you found kindness in his heart, it's because he has been kind to you. If you've shown graciousness and compassion, it's because he has given it to you. Everything that we have is not a work of us, it's a work of him, because underneath us are the everlasting arms. Nothing exists apart from him. Let's read again. Read again. Underneath are the everlasting arms. See if you do a whole sermon on underneath. Martin Lloyd Jones would be so proud of me. <laughs> when I get to heaven, he will be waiting. <laughs> so you missed it up. Yeah. Because <laughs> underneath it is the sense of the bottom of everything. The bottom of everything is him. He's underneath. What do I mean by that? The theologians say this that sometimes when you search into what they call God's providence, it is really complex. It just really is confident. In fact, some hymn writers, I don't agree with this totally, but I'll say this. Some, some uh, theologians and hymn writers call the dark providence of God. Remember this? I don't particularly, because I don't think it's just dark. I think it's just that we don't understand. And his ways are not our ways. But I believe that every circumstance that you have gone through, every circumstance that I have gone through, if you, if you care to look deeper, you'll find God in it. It might not have been easy. It might not have been, But if you can strip it away just a second, say, God, what were you teaching me? I'm sure that you'll find him. It may even be that right now, Satan is mining straight into your heart. He's the encouraging thing. God mines deeper than Satan. He can go as deep as you want, but he can't mine as deep as Satan can. Well, I feel like Satan's arms are all around me. Yeah, but his arms don't go around as far as God's does. That's the wonderful thing. Underneath every plant is him. Trying to help us to be like him. And what about evil? Well, what about it? Can evil take away the plans of God? Can it disrupt the plans of God? Can it? Is it the big issue in regard to Wrexham? Why is it that Oswestry has larger churches? Or that Chester does? And we struggle. Not just our church, but one after another after another. It is evil. I should move if I were you. Live in Osborne Street. If you can afford it, go to Chester. Right next to the wall, that's fortified. <laughs> There's no evil in Osborne Street then. There is no evil in, in Chester. Oh, they have Tudor shopping centres. <laughs> Let me just read this to you. Isaiah 45, verse 23. By myself I have sworn my mouth has uttered in all integrity 
a word will not be revoked. Before me, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. What? That just does not apply to Wrexham. Rubbish. It is the word of God. Why? Because under every piece of evil are the everlasting arms. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Just fact. Why are we so obsessed? with evil when we should be obsessed with the greatness of God. This is what I say. Stop evil. Love God. That's the way. You know, we we march round this and we wave our angry fist at this. What we forget to do is worship the Lord in all his goodness. Why do we give Satan a platform? He's dead, defeated, on his last legs. He will not survive. He will be cast into an eternal hell forever. Who will survive? The church will survive. It is the answer to the world. And we need to come back to scriptures like this. A word will not be revoked. It works. Each trouble. Maybe there's a lesson. Maybe that's the lesson. Stop evil. <laughs> Love God. Why is that? Because underneath the, uh, are the everlasting arms. <coughs> it means that there will be a sense of preservation for us. Isn't that great? Don't you love that? I get so excited about things. I will be preserved. Because sometimes, I don't know whether you're like me, don't you ever think, how did I get myself into that mess? You don't think like, no, you don't, because it's only me, okay. I, I think about me, not about you, that I wonder how I got myself into that mess. Because sometimes I just think, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> I'm in it. This is, what, this is what has encouraged me. From the mess, in the mess. You know these scriptures. He shall give his angels charge over you. I'm in the mess. Angels. <laughs> Come on! The theme from Bonanza, you all know. Come on! Just, what are you doing? Just shout! He will give his angels. Can you imagine this in heaven? Mess! Go, lads! Go! Here he is, beachy head. I don't know if you've ever been to Beachy Head. I'm I, I, not very good at heights because I get this thing that if you ever do this where you look in there like this and you find yourself going. And I don't know why I do that. Do you do that? Big height, looking down. What are you doing? Go, on, go. Go, no, no, no. That's the stuff. Here he is. Here he is, Christian. You might feel that right down you feel that. <laughs> you take it off. <laughs> you think, I don't know what you've ever thought. Beachy head, massive cliff. Here you are. Sometimes you feel your Christian experience is just like that. I've just gone over the edge. I'm just hanging on there. See, cliffs, I'm about to be wrecked. What does the Bible say? He will not let your foot slip. Hold on. But I'm hanging on up here. 
It's high. It's dangerous down there. No, he will not let your foot slip. Sometimes, do not feel this. <laughs> Faith is actually like going on a tight... Have you ever tried tightrope walking? I tried at school. They try, they try you. It's been a long time. But they try you. They give you this big pole. And you have to do it with your toes. I didn't realise this. Toes are very important. So they give you this big pole. And, I, and, and you... The thing is... But what you do is that when you're walking across it, this tightrope, that you, you've got to go, you've got to start it, and I'll say this, I think, Rupert, all right, just walk from there to there, and you go, yeah. So, right, you can walk there, yeah. So they give you this thing, they say, this will help you to walk like this. And you do that sort of stuff, and they say that 90% of it is confidence believing that you can walk to the other end. Because you feel that you cannot put your little tersey wobesies on that bit of thing. And you feel that you can't do this. And actually, they'll say to me, look, the, the issue is in your head. The issue is in your head. Mm. Sometimes, faith is like that tightrope. It's narrow, it's high, you feel like that you're going to slip. You're holding your balance. This side is experience. Well, I've done this before. This side is truth. I'm not the one who got it. You try and keep your feet. Here it is. If you go to the circus, there's a net. There's a net. There's a net. Because underneath are the everlasting arms. Come on! <laughs> <laughs> That's your life. Oh, I just sin a bit. Okay. Oh, they've gone off the board. We go, okay. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Extraordinary. Can you imagine? There's God. Oh, no. He's bags, evil men. Oh, they've gone that No, they've gone that Oh, no. I just think it's wonderful. It is absolutely wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> you just think it's marvellous. What an incredible experience of God to know. He will catch me. He will catch me. Think of this. What about this one from, with Jesus speaking? He said, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fall. Did it? Yes. Did he fall? No. Who caught him? Jesus caught him. How did he do it? Oh no. Why? Because he had a purpose for him. In his plans, he wasn't going to let him fall because he got something for him. Psalm 37, verse 24. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him. What? With his hand. Have you ever done that with the kids? Go on. Whoa, where'd they go? Well, you've still got them. That's swinging, but you've got them. <laughs> they may not breeze, grows, breaks their knees. You broke their arm, but you've still got them. That's <laughs> true, isn't it? I don't know whether you've ever done that with your mum and dad. You sort of go like that, they've got you. 
Come on. They've got you. He will uphold you by your... The mess that you've got in might give you a little bit of pain, but he's still got you. Because yeah. underneath are the everlasting arms. If these everlasting arms are always outstretched to provide to preserve, uh, to preserve me, if I stumble in weakness, and if I fall, they will be there. But will they be there whatever I do? The answer is yes and no. Because underneath is his nature, but on the other end, let me ask you this. Sometimes, Abigail, cheer. Abigail. Come here, Abigail. I'm going to get Cammy later. <laughs> okay, what I'm going to do, Abigail, is that you, you're my child of God. Okay? <laughs> Just for a moment, I'm the Lord. <laughs> okay, I'm, what I want you to do is that I, I, I want you to imagine that right now that you don't want my love and care. Okay? <laughs> you, you don't want it. I would like to care for you, but you don't want to do it. So when I hold you, I want you to do everything you can within your being to get to, to get loose. Okay? So here's the everlasting arms. Come here. And this way, here's the everlasting arms. Go! <laughs> <laughs> Round of applause, that is exactly right. <laughs> 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 make sure that that is not you. Just make sure that's not you. It's an interesting illustration. But you know, sometimes they, they fight against the everlasting arms. They release themselves rather than feel the comfort of the hope. Okay, secondly, they are sure today. Secondly, what is beneath us is the everlasting arms. Today we use language uh, like everlasting, and it means a couple of hours, or a long session at school, or one of Nigel's sermons. <laughs> a long day at work. Did you accuse your dad or your mother of going on and on and on, of being everlasting? I just want to encourage us not to meddle or devalue the word everlasting in the Bible. Right? Oh. Everlasting will never be a time in space or space in time. <coughs> everlasting is everlasting. To me, whether we read it of an everlasting life or everlasting punishment, everlasting must be lasting and enduring forever, existing or continuing without end, eternal. These things do not end. What then are the everlasting arms? Let me read this rather than we just do it. They are the arms which always were and always will be. They are the arms which are always strong. They're the arms that never grow faint or weary. They're the arms that once outstretched will never be drawn back again. They're the arms which once engaged in the defence of his people will never cease to work for their good. They're not failing arms or dying arms, but everlasting arms, because underneath are the people of God. And these arms have an everlasting purpose. 
It says in Ephesians, we were predestined according to a great plan. Ephesians 3 verse 11, this was according to his eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus. His purposes can be described actually as arms. He stretches out his hands to do his work. And these can never fail. <coughs> it's the work of his hands. He does the work of his hands. I was trained as an engineer. And uh, so at 16, or well, I was just short of 16, I uh, went. And the first, one of the first jobs that I was given was a, a, a bar of steel. Mild steel cut off at about an inch and a quarter uh, of the saw. I was given a file. And what I was supposed to do with that file is file it into a cube, make a dice out of it. That was my first job. What do I do that with? Just a file and a square and a little six inch one. And the guy I was teaching me that if I was going to be an engineer, he was going to be at the work of my hands. It wasn't just really what I knew about physics or whatever that you needed to do the job. Actually, I needed to be trying to do this. And I can still file correctly. Who does this when they file? You all do, don't you? Because you all are not meeting it. It's wrong. Because every time you go one, two, you've done two in the middle. Oh, clever. So you either you always go one, two, three. The work of your hand. You never do it twice, or you just get like that, get a dish. You don't get a dice, you get a dish. Do we all get dishes? Oh, yes. <laughs> Who's the most skilled person with the work of his hands? When we see him do something, it's the work of his hands. That means that he's working for you skillfully, for our talent, skillfully, for our nation, skillfully, for our world. Skillfully, Isaiah 14, verse 27, the Lord of hosts has purposed it, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Psalm 33, verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever, with the plans of his heart to all generations. Job 23, verse 13, he's unchangeable, who can turn him back? He desires what he does. He has a plan and a purpose and he will bring it out. Because he's skillful and it's his work. It is the work of his hands. It's his work, it's what he does. It's his job. His job is to bring his purpose about. Your job is to be uh, in an office or to teach in a school, to be a doctor or those. That's your job. His job is to use the work of his hands to bring his purposes out. It's like saying... Well, he can't do that because he's pretty unskilled. He's a bit naff, really. What? It's the work of his hands. And when I think of my ability and my decision-making process, I, I just change all the time. I can get up in the morning, think something's right by, the, by, by breakfast time. It's wrong. And then I read extraordinary things about the plans and purposes of God and wonder at them and I hear such wonderful hymn writers that put things together and think they just got it they just got it for a moment in fact they got it will you get it here it is how many times have we sung this great is thy faithfulness O God my father 
There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, forever will be. Because underneath are the everlasting arms of unchanging purposes. He will bring his purposes out. Because his hands work. They're out there at work. They're at work right now. <coughs> Next. Wait for it, Kelly. This is your moment. I need you to get ready for this. Okay. Great. <laughs> Next. We see the everlasting arms of love. Why are you sitting all tense? <laughs> you ask me, how do arms work in love? <laughs> Here we go. I need a volunteer, but first I will read scripture too. Jeremiah 31 verse 3. The Lord has appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. Come on. Just stand there. Okay. I just want to clear some facts up first. I am your husband. It's safe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hello. I love you very much. You don't have to reply. I'd like you to come you're not getting any more. Okay. Did you notice how that I drew Kelly? I drew her with, with my arms. I, I, that's what I did. Because God's love has hands and arms. That's what it's about. It's with which he draws us. And these are at the moment the sort of dealings with God that we're going through. He, Sometimes he just, you know, sometimes he, he, he extends his arms out. Sometimes he has hold of us. Sometimes it's, it's, it's intimate. Sometimes it's secure. Some, you know, sometimes you just need to know, it ain't great just to be held. Have you ever watched the little baby thing? It's possibly, isn't it? Little baby thing, crying, all that sort of stuff. You pick them up, they're quiet. Why? Because there's, there's an arms thing, isn't there? Just something armsy about it. You know, sometimes we just need to know, don't we, that the love of God is not just some sort of theological woofer <laughs> But actually, it's something that I can feel, experience, enjoy, know, come on. It is dead emotional. Dead emotional. I love my wife. I get... Well, it's fantastic to be loved by my wife. Come on. This is an everlasting love. This is everlasting. I just to know, hey, there's a hope waiting. Come squeeze me a bit. I need a bit of squidgy time. <laughs> everlasting. Switched forever, without beginning, without variation, without end. An omnipotent God. Let me ask you a question, final question in regard to colour. Let me ask colour this. Let me, no, let me ask colour. Do you think, colour, 
that even though I love you, that I will harm you. Why? You trust me. completely he won't harm you he might put you into some interesting things like come home from Brighton and say one day we've just moved into it <laughs> but if you allow him to hold you he will not harm you but what about the other side? This love, it has actually made my heart burst apart. I don't know if you felt that. Sometimes you just think, oh, it's gone to do And sometimes I have to admit that I'm just done. I worship God and with the hands in my pockets. And sometimes I've just been thrilled. But you know, our security does not come from a reaction to his everlasting. So our security does not come from how we behave towards his everlasting love. But from the knowledge that he loves us from the foundation of the world. And if you're going to get underneath and experience the everlasting arms and the love that comes from it, then you have to not look at you and your performance. You have to look at him and tell him. <coughs> there are lots of things that question me, you know. I don't think we should be silent. It's like me living for 26 years. And so you come in, you know, you don't need to know that I love you. We, it's, it's like me saying... Well, you know, forget the 25th wedding anniversary, it doesn't really matter. We can, you know, just carry on as normal. How can I do that? So how could we do that to God? Why don't we not celebrate? Why do we not tell? Why do we not express? Why do we not show? What is it sometimes with the <coughs> contemplatory look? Why did the contemplatory look at Kelly? She'd smack me around and fit her. <laughs> so what are we doing? This is a love affair. We're engaged on an eternal love affair. That's what Song of Solomon is about. It's about a lover and a lover. It's not about a theological understanding. It's about, yes it is, but it's about an emotional understanding of being loved and having a lover. Ooh, just need to consider my wife for a little. I'll be in so much trouble, and so are you. Engage in the Lord, in your lover, in the delight of your life, in the thing that sets your heart on fire, that makes your heart skip. Engage in him, Jesus, the lover of my soul. It is a strong love because it will support you whatever you may face. You know, this is the way that it works. God in eternity looks at, my, at the worst. And he looks at that in projection. 
And with the, with the Trinity, they make a decision. And this is the sort of trustees meeting in heaven. Agenda one. We need to make a love that will sustain people at their worst, and they should be able to resource it. Good point. Let's do that bit. We need to sustain not only one person at their worst, and they should be able to restore it, but all of history. And they should be able Great point. Let's do that. We, we need to behave, we need to put an immovable pillar of love that exists throughout all of the existence of mankind and into heaven so that some people that people can find it and hold on to it. Third point. It must be designed to hold people up however they are. Okay. They must be, it must be powerful. Isaiah 26, trust in the Lord forever. The Lord our God is an everlasting rock. We must be able to hold on to it. Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Our Lord God, it is you that made the heavens and your earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. Okay, let's do it. Here's the fact. This love, this strength needs to hold up the people of God. Think about it just for a minute. You. They put you in the context of history. And even mankind right now. And you think, oh, you just don't understand what I'm having to cope with right now. And he says, I've provided a way not only for you, but for history and for all that will be, and all that was. Jude 1, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling, from stumbling, and to present you blameless, he is able to love you and hold you. Why don't you hold him? Because <laughs> often that's the issue. The issue isn't what him holding you. The issue is you holding him. What is this? This is for the clever people. This is the doctrine of immutability. What? They get it? I did that three times on my spell check, still went wrong. It means he cannot change. He's not able to change or change. We change. Malachi 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. How does he save us? One. Psalm 136, verse 12. With a strong hand and an abstract strong, for his steadfast love endures forever. But also, what sort of arms are these that we reject? Isaiah 40, verse 11. He will tend a flock like his shepherd. He will gather his lambs in his arms. He will gather that carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead those that are with you. Why would you want to not have that? Why would you want to not have that? Psalm 63, verse 8. My soul clings to you. Lastly, lastly. Where are the everlasting arms underneath? I'll read this so that we can get through and worship the Lord. There is only one answer to this. So at the moment, right now, the everlasting arms are underneath us. Isn't that great? The Christian is 
life is described as walking by faith. To my mind, walking by faith is most extraordinary thing and the most frightening thing that I do. I wish that I didn't have to walk by faith. I wish that I could walk by what I know. Or what I didn't know. That would be much simpler. I know this. I'll go there. I don't know that. I'll go there. But isn't it? We've been chosen to live by faith. I've tried to describe it like this. Have we ever tried to climb an invisible staircase? You do that sort of thing. You just sort of, you just all over the place. You can. When I'm all gone, and you think, what did you do that for? You try it. You need to go home. Do drama. I'm standing in front of an imaginary staircase. You don't know where the first step is, do you? That's exactly what I'm trying to describe you as what faith is like. You can't see the step before you, but you know that you should climb it, don't you? That's the thing. I know I can't see that step, but I know I've got to go there. You know that you can't go down because it's a faith journey that you've been put on. I want to get off this. How many times have you done that one? Please let me get off this staircase. You know I admit it, but I know that you do it. You know that you can't do it. Sometimes... Like Denzel and Dorothy, they've climbed it for years. Others have just climbed it for days and weeks. But actually, we're all on it. It doesn't matter whether Denzel's been on it for, for years or not. It's still invisible. It's still invisible. Sometimes we pause on it and we ask, well, I'm not going forward until I know what next. And sometimes you say to me, Hold on, the last few steps that I climbed, we went left and now we go right. What are we doing that for? Well, I don't understand. I understand left, I don't know. But we do know that there's a rail there, and if we hold on to the rail, the rail will help us, and that's the Lord. But actually, God wants us to know it's helpful for us not to see everything. And it seems to be helpful that he wants us to climb sometimes in the dark, but only holding on to his rail. And other times, I don't know if you felt this, but these steps have been really slippery. I've felt sometimes. Banged me nose, cut me nose, made me nose bleed. Sometimes I felt like I've climbed them at you know, even old people, every now and again, they up the stairs. There's something about it, isn't there? When I was little, I used to do that thing where you did a dive from the top. Have you ever done that? You do a dive and you're shooting there. Your mum would go, what are you doing? Because there's something about steps, isn't there? You want to do it. And there's it, that one, isn't it? Leap four at a time. What? 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 My mum said, one at a time, one at a time, do one at a time. You never do one at a time, do you? Because you're a child. You want to do 25 at a time, 30 at a time. You just want to do it. Because there's something about being on the steps. Isn't there? Don't you do it. Lift those steps. No, let me get those steps. Come on, bring the steps on. Because you sort of, there's almost like a behavioural thing when it comes to steps. You go to Eagle's Meadow, where are all the problems? On the steps. You sometimes think, how on earth did I get here? How did I get through that? I don't know whether you've thought, <laughs> you've even thought, I'd just like to walk on a flat. I'd just like it to be flat. 
Well, one moment you don't know quite where you are on the sex. You don't know whether it's a big journey or a short journey. It could be slippery and dark and all that sort of stuff. Here it is underneath of the everlasting arms. He just wants you to hold the rail and walk. Hold the rail and walk. <coughs> Don't let go of the rail. And so it will be forever. His everlasting arms are in position. The stairs... Well, there's not going to be too much light on it yet. Finally, finally, finally. If underneath this are the everlasting arms, what then? First, let us look underneath. What's underneath your life? Is there an underneath? If you're believing in Jesus with all your heart, believing that he... Believing that he gave an atoning sacrifice for you, then you can search underneath and you'll find things that are solid and eternal. If you do not believe in Jesus, then here's the stark truth for you. There is no underneath. Get him, get an underneath. Get Jesus, get an underneath. Let me say to this to you. Do not be afraid to search underneath. And if you find nothing, then look to him. And he'll provide an underneath for you. He died so that you might have a foundation to your life and a foundation to your future. Next, if the everlasting arms are there, lean heavy on them. They can hold you. You can't lean too hard on God. You can't out-drain him of his resources. You know, I wish we all had a little bit more of that outlook. Not asking for more is not right when you are dealing with the Lord. You must never fear that, you're, that you can't come to him and ask again and again and again. It's not that he's fed up with you. Oh, what the heck. It's Tim Harmon again. He asked me yesterday to love me. Did he not know? What sort of idiot is he then? No. Don't ask as little as I can. Ask as much as you can. Ask as big as you can. Ask as wild as you can. Why? Because he's an everlasting God. Why do you ask so small? Do you know what we do when we do that? We make him small. Right. He's exalted above. Ask big, dig big, take big. Never say, well, I just trust you for a little and these things I'll just take control of because I'm not sure about it. No, lean with all your weight on him. When I was uh, at school, we had to play one year of football, one year of And I was little, don't comment. <coughs> so I was the hooker, the hooker. That's nothing to do with ladies of ill repute. It's in a rugby stuff. So I was a, I was a hooker, okay? And in my days, shut up, Rachel. In my days, not now, you used to have two hefty big blokes, didn't you? And a little bloke in the little like this. So when we came to form a scrub, the two blokes, I had to put my mouth, and my little legs would go like this. And, they, and we would walk up like this in the scrub, and then we would go. My job was to get the ball back like this, that sort of stuff. And what I, what I, what I used to feel very uncomfortable with these two massive blokes that used to pick me up. 
And I just want to say that to us. It isn't about too much. Just lean on him. Lean on him. He wants to carry it. You cannot break the back of the Lord. 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Your weight does not trouble him. History's weight does not trouble him. The world's weight does not trouble him. I think I'm right with this. There's an Aesop, is it Aesop, 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 <coughs> Fable. Aesop, 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 we don't know. You know Aesop is not Aesop, but you don't know any of the fables. Okay. Anyway, anyway, you know, the fly or the gnat or whatever it was, he goes to the ox, doesn't he? Because he's just sort of on the top of his horn. And, and he sort of says to the, to the ox, you know, I, I, I really apologise for, for burdening you. And the ox went, what? <laughs> what? You're a fly man, you know, what is that really? Burden me, so I've got 75 of them around my eye, let alone one here, you know, that sort of stuff. <coughs> Don't be like that. Don't be like a knot on the side of the Lord. You're not burdening him, it's not a weight to him. You know, if you were the European president, the, the new guy from Belgium, I think, with all these countries now burdening his brain. And uh, the policies of those nations taxing his every thought while he's eating his Sunday roast today. And how he's going to safely negotiate Europe into the world stage. He'd probably be up all night, wouldn't he, really? Well, probably he won't, but I mean, that's a very political statement, right? But you know, even if he, with all those things, went to God and gave them to the wonderful council. It wouldn't be a problem for him to carry them. He can carry Europe. The next and finally, finally, finally conclusion is please be confident in him. Do not be afraid to experience heights of love. Don't be afraid to go there. Don't be a hang back and we'll see what Rupert and Fleur do. Don't do that. You do How many times have you hung back and not experienced the Lord? Why are you measuring and marking? Kelly was a seven yesterday in her love to me. She's been a six today. Tomorrow, remarkably, she'll be an eight. No? Kelly? I'm in love with you. Why do we measure? Why do we not engage? Why do we not tell him? Why don't, don't be afraid of experiencing love. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of having a high ambition for serving him. Don't be afraid to explore doctrines even though they can appear complex. Don't be afraid to tackle holiness because it's Something that you just think, well, it's a radical lifestyle. Because you can dive into this water safely and deeply. 
You can climb on this mountain as high as you like. Because wherever you go, whether it's up there or down there, whether it's the deepest dive or the highest climb underneath the everlasting arms. It is dangerous to hesitate. Last caliphate. You know this. We went to we we went to uh, this year. It's been a strange experience. We went to Matt's my nephew's wedding. I was taking part in the service. And, and what usually happens is that I seem to end up buying because I've got two girls, one of which earns more than me, and a wife. I ended up buying three dresses, six pairs of shoes, three handbags, and two. And I just I just mug written. And I, I want to. I just want to. I want to have two of them, not the third one. Yes, I think I wasn't there when you. So I won't be there. So they go and put their dresses on. And I don't know if you've noticed these guys, but they make a sit. They always make you sit next to the underwear, don't they? When you go and So, so you're like this. And they go, "Are oh, you right yet?" Because as soon as you go like that, they go, ah! So, so why do they do that with me? Why do they go try and dress on in the men's departments? That would be much easier for us. So we do that. So there we are. So there I'm sitting. Now I want you to imagine for a moment that, that my daughter and my wife have there put this dress on that we go to the wedding. So they're just coming out in the dress. And they appear for you, and you're looking like this, and all your legs are going like that. So, so they're there, they're appearing for you. So they come out. And for, they stand there for a moment. And what you do is you, you sort of, you sort of, there they are, and you sort of, well, I'll just you know, pick your nose for a little bit. Just, you know, look at that, and that's, I completely ignore them. What will happen to the dress? It won't ever come out again, will it? And if they say, does it, does my bum look big in this? <laughs> you are in your time. But you know, we can be hesitant worshippers. We can sort of think, well, you know, we can be hesitant. We just don't. Why don't we, come on, be engaged. Why are we hesitant about love? Why are we hesitant about, about this person that comes out from the changing room, glorious in all the splendour that you can have? They come out of it. Here comes Jesus on his horse, riding like it says in Revelation. And what are we doing? We're hesitant. Why is that? Don't be hesitant. Dive in. Climb up. Get on. Be brave. Because underneath are the everlasting arms. Leap into him. It's safe. So when the captain gives the order, obey. Because we can achieve what no mortal person can achieve. Because the supernatural God is with us. Underneath us are the everlasting arms. Sometimes we do this, we count loaves and fishes, don't we? How many loaves have you got? Six. How many fishes have you got? Five. Why don't we believe and start counting? 